This is episode number 17 with Pete Davis. Welcome to the I Love Music podcast. My name is Jen Fedor. I started the I Love Music podcast to inspire people who love music, encourage people who work within the industry, and to hear each person's unique story. For this episode, I got to talk with Pete Davis. Pete works at Butum Murray Productions as a music supervisor. They produce shows like The Real World, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Bad Girls Club, and Born This Way. If you are interested in becoming a music supervisor or an artist wanting to know more about licensing music, be sure to listen. All right, let's get into Pete's interview. All right, Pete, thank you so much for being here today on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jen. Um, so how did you get interested in music? Well, um, I had always wanted to be a radio DJ since I was like 11 years old. Um, my first CD actually was Weird Al Yankovic's Bad Hair Day. Nice. And uh, um, before I had the CD, um, I found out they used to play it on the, uh, the American station um, okay. background. I grew up on a military base overseas. So we had one American station that had a morning show that played music and they used to play Amish Paradise all the time. So I'd call in like every day and request it. <laughs> and uh, then that turned into me, you know, discovering other bands and other artists and, and developing my own taste in music. Um, and then my friend uh, Dom and I would also um, do our mock DJ shows. Um, a recording setup not nearly as cool as yours. Um, it was a microphone <laughs> that plugged into the computer. Yeah. And we would press play on the tape player in my uh, in my room, nice. but we'd record it to the computer. It's yeah. kind of, it was kind of like a backwards way of doing it because uh -huh. you think that you would record it onto tape and then play it off the computer. But no, I I had reverse technology. Whatever, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, and so uh, eventually, at the end of my senior year of high school, uh, you know, I was I was looking at colleges. Uh, I decided I wanted to get to go into TV, um, but I interned at the um, TV and radio station on base, and they okay. let me actually for real, do some DJ shifts in the afternoon there. And yeah. then when I got to college, um, I was lucky enough that we had two radio stations um, at Ithaca. Cool. Um, WICB and uh, VIC Internet Radio. Yeah. So I uh, ended up... Uh, I mean, you do have, kind of have like this... I do have, you have, I do have radio the radio voice, voice. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, so I ended up doing uh, both of those stations and... Okay. Um, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it, but I was like, okay, again, it's time to graduate. Radio doesn't pay much, um, yeah. and they start you out in, like, Market 281 in Pittsburgh, Kansas or something. Mm -hmm. um, so time to move to L.A. and do TV, and I'm going to intern at Buna Murray. Oh, except, oops, they had a music department. Okay. And uh, when I was interning, the music department um, didn't have a coordinator, and they badly needed someone to help them out. And I was happy to be doing some some work that I thought was valuable and mm -hmm. and a great learning experience. So I was more than happy to do some extra days and and work with them. And when it came time to get a job, um, they said, "Hey, do you want to be our music coordinator?" And I said yes. And eleven or so years, yeah, almost eleven years later, uh, I'm now um, a, you know I'm the supervisor at Buna Murray and uh, one of the longest running supervisors there. 
Um, what shows have you worked on throughout the years? I've pretty much worked on either as a coordinator or as a supervisor, pretty much every show that we produce. So I've okay. done um, multiple iterations of Kardashians, of course. Okay. Um, I've done a couple seasons of Real World. Okay. Um, I've filled in on some challenges here and there. Um, nice. Uh, my first show was a show about Saddle Ranch. Okay. Um, it was actually a lot of fun to work on. Um, and, uh, of course, um, my favorite has been Bad Girls Club. <laughs> okay. Why? Um, why is Bad Girls Club your favorite? Um, it's just such a fun, creative show to work on. Um, you know, there's no premise about us saving the world with that show. It's it's right. definitely popcorn TV. Yeah. But it's fun popcorn TV and the freedom that we have um, from an editorial standpoint on that to do fun things um, is unlike any other show I've worked on. Um, you know, I've I've basically made suggestions that have gone to air such as, hey, why don't you take this song and make the opening like a like a Japanese anime intro. Oh, cool. And they have. And um, I got Clip of the Week on the soup for a placement for a song called You Make My Box Go Thump. <laughs> and the fun thing about working on that show is, you know, our motto on it has has always been, we won't know that we can't do it unless we try. Okay. So there's no idea that's too off the wall or ridiculous on that show. Um, we just kind of go for it. And, you know, like one time... Um, one of our post-producers, Trevor, and I put together this, um, the season was called Twisted Sister. Okay. And, uh, we were like, oh, that sounds like a, a bad James Bond movie. So, um, he basically did this amazing intro and I worked with, um, uh, a couple of friends of mine to do like a James Bond-esque sort of theme song for it. Um, it was all like black yeah. silhouette on pink of all the bad girls things that happened, such as mattresses floating in the pool and clothes <laughs> flying downstairs. Yeah. And then at the end, instead of, you know, the gunshot at the screen, mm -hmm. it was a girl walking up and throwing a glass of red wine on the screen okay. and it dripping down. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In a nutshell, you know, that's why I've really enjoyed working on that show. Do you get to work with the editors then with that? Yep. When, when, how, how does that... Well, so the way that we work at Buna Murray is we're basically a start to finish shop. So okay. we do the casting for our shows, we do the production for our shows, the post-production, the onlining. Um, the only thing we really don't do for our shows is marketing because okay. uh, ultimately, you know, we're, we're producing them for, for a network, for a client. Right. Mm -hmm. But we do everything in-house. So um, one of the benefits to that from where we are as music supervisors is the editors are just right in the other building. So we can go over with them, we can sit down with them, oh, that's great. we can watch footage, we can collaborate, we can play them music yeah. on the spot mm -hmm. and develop ideas together as opposed to, you know, working from a home office and the editors are, you know, in like Silver Lake right. and the editors are in Santa Monica or something. Yeah. And, you know, let's be honest, no one, no one wants to do that drive. <laughs> no. uh, and we're lucky we're all in the same place and we can have that face-to-face -face interaction and collaboration of ideas yeah. on the spot. Cool. Um, how do you how do you how do you choose music? What type of music is going to be in you know in a show? Um, what what are the like maybe top five factors or three factors that come come into play? Well, so first and foremost, of course, it always comes down to the bottom line. Um, yeah. It always comes down to um, us essentially 
taking a look at our budget and saying, all right, so we have this much and we have this much time and this many episodes to do. So what can we do with that? And then um, from there, we reach out to artists and composers and stuff who are great, mm -hmm. but are also at you know a, a level that 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 makes sense for them. That works you know, for essentially, that budget. That, yeah. that budget uh, works for them to collaborate with us. So um, a lot of it is indeed finding a needle in a haystack because yeah. we're looking for great music mm -hmm. that we can get with the money that we have to spend. And, uh, you know, sometimes you'll find those matches and it's amazing and you end up collaborating on quite a few things. Um, then I would say after that, um, the, you know, the most important thing is to find music that supports the story in ways that aren't visible. So, you know, you don't want to place a song, you know, for someone like someone's running up a hill, you don't, you know, place the song running up that hill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you think about other factors going on, like, why are they running up the hill? You know, if we only see them running up the hill, what would be a reason for them to be doing that? Maybe they are, like, you know, their booze on the other side. Yeah. And so we'll yeah. play a song like that as they're running up the hill that, um, you know, fits the emotion for the scene. And, and when it's a lyric, the, you know, the lyrical content for the message that, we're trying to convey that we don't have the footage for because ultimately working in reality we often don't have the footage and we do yeah. rely on music to tell the story that isn't visible because we can't just you know go and reshoot a season you know like scenes from bad girls club that yeah. house is long gone by the time mm -hmm. we've you know got the footage Started, and we're working yeah in post yeah so um you know that also is extremely important to us and uh you know we actively try to make our choices creative and not necessarily too on the nose. Although sometimes there are those times when you just want to stress how ridiculous a situation is where on the nose does work. Um, but I'd say primarily we're looking for that other sort of angle that exists but is not visible that we're that we want to convey. So from an artist's perspective, when someone is like, "Oh, listen, you know, listen to my new music," or like, mm -hmm. I, "I want to get placed." What what things are you looking for from the you know from from an artist looking into that world? Well, first of all, that you own your songs, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or your uh, rights holders own own the songs one hundred percent. You know, especially working on a show like Bad Girls Club, which um, does lean uh, towards hip hop. Uh, there have been a number of times where I'll get a song and it's amazing and. I'm like, oh, um, we'd love to license it. Oh, great. Well, I've got one co-writer, but he's cool. He's with Sony, but like, totally cool. Don't worry about it. And it's like, I can't afford that, right. you know, right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, or they'll be like, oh, great. Yeah, so I did the vocals and I bought the beat offline. Oh. Well, just because you bought the beat to use in your mixtape doesn't mean that you have the express rights to put it on television. Um, in fact, most of the time it doesn't. It means you don't have that. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, it sucks, but that means I can't use the song, you know, because we have to make sure everything's buttoned up. We can't just place it and, oh, you know, I bet they're cool. I bet, you, you know, your friend is cool. I bet, you know. Right, yeah. No, that's not how that works, you know. So first and foremost, that you own your things. Um, you own your 
you know, your master rights and your publishing or, you know, you're able to sign off from them right. or you know exactly who can. Um, uh, second of all, we almost always need an instrumental for a vocal placement. Um, instrumentals are huge. They are huge. I mean, you know, a lot of times we're looking to place a vocal and people are like, well, I want to place vocal. Why do you need the instrumental? And it's like, well, we have to edit the song in. You know, at the end of the day, the star of the show is the stars of our show. Mm -hmm. uh, and the music does play an important but supporting role. And so we need to be able to essentially fit the message of the song to our scene. And we need to be able to, we have to be malleable like that. Um, and then thirdly, that the music uh, fits our shows. You know, it's, it's important to me and it means a lot to me when um, artists reach out and they say, hey, I've watched some of your programs and I think my music would be great for this one because this. Yeah. That yeah. alone in a cold email is enough to at least get me to respond because it, you took the time to research what we do and you think that the music can fit and you told me why. You know, that in itself is worth its weight in gold because even if, you know, I try it and it doesn't work for the project I'm working on, it's something I'll remember and keep on hand yeah. for another one of our shows right. where it might very well fit well. So for the people out there that want to be music supervisors, who, uh, what are some like preconceived notions that people think, oh yeah, like, you know, like I want to be a music supervisor because I'm... X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah. so, yeah, there are a lot of pre preconceived notions about what our job is um, and an extent what it isn't. Um, you know, preconceived notion number one, of course, is, oh, I get to sit there and listen to music all day and then pick it and put it in the shows. And, yes, ultimately, I guess that is sort of our job, but uh, really in the grand scheme of everything else, um, it's a small part because ultimately we have to sell our vision to the editors and the producers and um, everyone else. Um, so it's got to match their vision. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's got to be true to the show and the production we're doing. You know, like, you know, to keep using Bad Girls as an example, it's very rare that we're able to place a country song on that show, for example. Right, yeah. As, you know, as much as I love country, okay, I can't even lie about that. Um, <laughs> I, I like some country, but, yeah. um, you know, like, right, let's put it this way. I'm, I'm a sucker for some really well-done singer-songwriter, mm -hmm. but it's incredibly rare that, you know, a person, like a guy with a guitar is going to work on Bad Girls Club because at the end of the day, Genre-wise, it just doesn't fit on the show. Right, you yeah. Know? Um, so we have to be true to the show, and we have to you know, be able to sell our vision to the editors and the producers, and it's got to be their vision, too. It's got to be something that they're into, um, because ultimately, I am, like, number six on the list of, you know, getting this song in. So right. I, basically, you get the song to me, and I might think it's perfect, but the editor has to think it's perfect. The producers have to think it's perfect. Mm -hmm. The executive producers have to, have to think it's perfect. And then the network has to like it. You know, our client eventually has to go, oh, we really like that. It might make it all, all the way to them and they'll just go like, oh, you know what? Not feeling the song. And then we got to find something else. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of, a lot more hoops to go through than I like this song and now it's on TV. Um, also, it's not a job to do if you don't like paperwork or can't at least yeah. deal with paperwork and keep a fairly decent level of organization. 
um, you know, on an average song, you might have to keep track of, you know, and this is an average song, you might have to keep track of like three writers and the mm -hmm. owner of the recording. Right. But then there are some where there'll be like 17 writers and three of those writers are two different samples um, or interpolations. And so you'll have to, you know, like you basically have to keep track of who owns what, um, what's been negotiated, um, who the writers are and yeah. the publishers are. Um, you have to keep meticulous records when it comes to that because you don't want to let anything slip through the cracks because, mm -hmm. you know, at the end of the day, if something slips through the cracks, you've got to fix it. And it's a lot harder to fix something when it's already in the crack than before it's fallen in. Right. You know? Yeah. So you have to be able to keep meticulous records. Um, and then you have... Cue sheets? Is that... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... What are cue sheets uh, for people that don't know? So cue sheets are a reporting of every single song that's used in an episode. Um, an average episode of, you know, reality TV might have 60 to 70 songs in a 44-minute time, uh, time span. Wow. And, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. And every single one of those has to show the writer, the publishers, the artist, the timing of it, whether it was a vocal or instrumental, uh, the reporting society, so mm -hmm. um, ASCAP, ASCAP, BMI, CSAC, PRS, SOCAN, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and the uh, song title itself, of course. Um, if there's a mistake in there, that's someone who may not get paid because it doesn't get caught by the reporting society when it ends there. So that's one of those situations where you have to be extremely meticulous and make yeah. sure everything works out. And then finally, it's it's not a job for people who don't like to talk to people. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, your strength in this in this industry is who you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like I wouldn't be where I am today had it not been for friends I've made over the last ten years. Um, right. Yeah. Who you know I worked with their bands when you know they were like baby bands, mm -hmm. and now they have a new project and it's blowing up, but. You know, for me, they're like, well, you helped me out back then. I'll help you out now. Right, you know, yeah. there's a lot of that. Um, you need to know the right people to, to contact to get all this info. And to a certain extent, you can look it up. But if you really, really want to do your job well, you know, you want to be able to reach out to people and have them help you out. And you need to be able to reach out to people and figure out who the like newest artists is that they're working with right, yeah. that might be a hit in a year when you've already placed it, you know, so you can make your show sound incredibly fresh. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not a job for people who don't like to talk to other people. So from the shows that you've worked on, have there been any bands that you have licensed and they blew up like a year, you know, a year or two later that you're like, yeah, like I, I, you know. Oh, absolutely. Um, let's see off the top of my head. Um, I guess maybe going from the beginning, Mayday Parade. Um, okay. uh, Ian Axel, who uh, um, is now with um, uh, his former manager, Chad, known as A Great Big World. Okay. Uh, is one of the first people to work with them. Uh, fun. Actually, I was uh, the first person oh, to place you, Fun. Oh, sweet. That's yeah. awesome. Um, I caught Macklemore and Ryan Lewis fairly early on on, on that cycle. Um, cool. I think I, I believe I was actually the first person to place churches in the U.S. Um, place to recover in, in real world Portland. Um, to date, one of my favorite bands. Yeah. I absolutely love them. Me and um, my co-supervisor on the last Vegas season of Real World put um, Zylo in. 
Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Um, that was such a great placement. Um, nice. There's some others. Um, they're not necessarily coming to mind right now. Yeah, but that's okay. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a handful of them right there. What challenges, I mean, in the music industry have you encountered? I guess the biggest challenge for me is, um, you know, going back to um, taking what your budget is and trying to make it work for yeah. the show to yeah. do the be- to make the best product you can possibly make. Um, you know, that's a challenge that any music supervisor is going to have, um, mm-hmm. no matter what the budget is, because the budgets for any music supervisor are always uh, much smaller than at least people on the music side feel they should be. Right. So, um, you know, the biggest challenge is making the, dis- you know, the tough decisions on where to go big with the music and where to sort of pull back and, you know, save a penny here. Um, and then I guess another one actually is the physical idea of learning when to not have music and to literally pull back the music and not have any, Uh, you know, like part of our job is to, um, play with when a scene should run dry as we call it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that, um, uh, I've had to learn to do just because when you watch a lot of reality, you're you know, you're thinking, oh, it's wall-to-wall music, blah, blah, blah. But really, there are some powerful moments that play even better when you don't have music going on. You know, like one of those, like, like fight right. scenes, for example. Yeah. You don't always need the music to tell you that people are fighting. In fact, you never need the music to tell you people are fighting because they're fighting. Because <laughs> they're fighting. Um, but sometimes those fights are a lot more powerful when you strip out the music. And it's just, you know, raw emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, that was something that, you know, that's a skill that I've definitely had to develop over time. Um, and then for me, frankly, organization. Um, yeah. You know, as I mentioned, this is a job that requires you to be organized, and I'm not necessarily the most organized person. So it's something that I've had, that's a skill I've had to develop and teach myself and stay on myself to be meticulous with. Um, I ask this to all my guests why do you love music? Why do I love music? Yeah. Um, I love music because, um, you know, just when I think that I've kind of heard it all and I've kind of, you know, seen, oh, I've, I met this band, I've seen this band before, they do something completely different. You know, um, every time I think I've heard everything out there, a musician comes along and does something completely new and different or maybe does three old things but mashes them together into something completely new and different that uh, amazes me and makes yeah. me like music yeah. again. Since you've been working in the industry for 10 years, have you seen uh, any changes like over time? Um... Well, I, uh, I started right when, you know, record sales were definitely dropping off dramatically, CD sales rather, mm-hmm. but when iTunes was definitely still very much active. So we used to be able to... Um, uh, count on our artists placed on an MTV show, for example, getting a ton of digital downloads yeah. um, out of a placement, especially on the MTV shows where we have an ID pop-up saying the artist's oh, yeah. name. Yeah. You know, I've, I've worked with a couple artists who have gotten record deals out of that. Um, and now, you know, with streaming, it's tough. It is yeah. really tough for musicians. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's tough because our budgets have gone down, but it's also tough because the revenue for music has gone down. Mm -hmm. And, you know, musicians are really at a loss now and are struggling to figure out what the next big thing is. You know, right. not everyone wants to be yeah. touring, you know, 100 dates a year. Mm -hmm. And touring in itself is kind of iffy um, right. in terms of, you know, whether you'll break even or make money. Um, so I think things have gotten a lot harder for musicians. Um, it's definitely gotten easier for independent composers who are lean and flexible. Um, mm -hmm. They can compete, especially great ones, can compete with um, bigger libraries on a level that, you know, like works pretty well for them because they're able to charge lower fees mm -hmm. and still make more money because at the end of the day there is less of a pie to split up. Yeah. But when it comes to touring bands and musicians, it's gotten a lot tougher. It really has. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest overarching change I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, like musical trends, um, yeah, when I first started, you know, it was singer-songwriter, it was Hotel Cafe, it was pop-punk bands. And now the genres, and it was hip-hop. And now all the genres have sort of blended together a little bit. So you'll have singer-songwriter with a lot of electronic yeah. elements or with hip-hop elements. And you'll have hip-hop with a lot of um, uh, songwriter elements. You'll have rock that does, you know, mostly like electronic stuff. Right, yeah. <clears throat> so, you know, that's definitely another trend that I've seen. Um, and then in terms of... Uh, uh, on the shows themselves, um, I think uh, music has gotten a lot more creative on most shows that I've watched. Um, I'm, I just continue to be astounded by the level of thoughtfulness in composition and in licensed music that um, I see on television. Do you have any encouraging words to people who work within the industry or to artists? Um, yeah, I would say don't be afraid to go it alone. Um, as I mentioned, it's certainly a lot easier for musicians who have fewer mouths to feed with their career. Um, so don't be afraid to strike out on your own and do something. Yeah. Um, it really is the best way to make a career out of this. Um, you know, there's a lot of fun, you know, writing with like nine people is a lot of fun, sure. But at the end of the day, you look at the people who complain about how Spotify isn't paying them anything and they're signed to a record label, and they have an average of five co-writers on a song, and you know sometimes they've got a publishing deal, and it's like, well, if that's the case, yeah, you aren't seeing anything. You know, you're working for a label who did a deal without you, yeah, and you're not seeing any of that. Um, I've got um, a friend who's got a company that they do a uh, profit share essentially with their artists, and they're doing pretty well with the streaming model because at the end of the day. The artist gets 50% and they get 50%, um, which is a much fairer ratio. And they're working with smaller artists who are working with fewer writers. Right. So at the end of the day, they get to take home more of that pie and, um, you know, it works for them. Um, don't be afraid to get creative and try different things with music. Um, often that's what we want to place. And we want to place something that's new and different and hasn't been heard before. Um, anything else you want to add? Uh, people always ask me... Um, how do I get to be a music supervisor? And um, the first thing I tell them is accidentally, um, because actually, you know, <laughs> yeah. that's how, yeah. from experience, that's how it's worked for me. Yeah. But, um, you know, it all comes back to networking. Um, if you really want to be a music supervisor, 
you need to be either in LA or New York, first of all. Um, in the United States, obviously, if you're in, you know, if you're Canadian, you'll want to be in Toronto or Vancouver. Um, if you're in London, if you're in England, obviously in you're in London, but you need to be in one of the major cities. Um, you need to get into the music industry first and, um, you know, to do that, the best way to do it is to reach out to people, start networking with yeah. them, um, start working on student projects, you know, build up a portfolio, take a job in music that isn't necessarily what you want to do, but at the end of the day, will round out who you are. Um, some of the most successful music supervisors I know are people who didn't come from a music supervisor background. They came from web marketing yeah. or they came from label side. Um, they came from a publishing company. Um, you know, having experience from other parts of the music industry will ultimately help round you out and provide you insight that um, a lot of us don't necessarily have. Cool. Man, I think everyone will learn like a lot today from oh. this interview. So thank you so much for taking some time out to do this today. Well, of course. Happy to do it, Jen. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Pete for being on the show and bang ups for the theme music. All right. Until next time, this has been the I Love Music podcast with Jen Fedor.